Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Was A Quiet Place inspired by signs it comes at night in War for the Planet of the Apes? Was Ready Player One influenced by Avatar, Wreck-It Ralph, and The Last Starfighter? Is the Hurricane Heist more influenced by Sharknado or Geostorm? These are the kinds of questions my guest co-hosts and I discuss on my podcast, Piecing It Together. Every week, we look at a new movie and try to figure out what other movies inspired it, whether it's the story, the character development, tone, or even use of music. Every movie was influenced by something that came before, and we want to figure out what. Check out Piecing It Together on your favorite podcast app or check us out on piecingpod.com. You can also follow us on social media at piecingpod. Piecing It Together is a part of the All Points West Podcast Network. Hi, this is Jim Shokin, host of Webcomics Reviews and Interviews. Today we're with Lorna Rose Hahn, the writer. So sit back, relax, and let the Geek Fest begin. That's you. Hi. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so um, I'm Lorna Rose Hahn. Um, I live in north central Washington state, um, beautiful part of the country. Um, I have been writing uh, pretty much my whole life. I um, got away from it for, oh my gosh, 20 years or so. Um, I wrote, I was one of those geeks that won like young author awards when I was in grade school. Um, and since creative writing wasn't exactly encouraged in my family, not I'm from a family of, of engineers and businessmen, I got away from it. Uh, and the, you know, what I should be doing sort of kicked in and it got me through college. And then I entered the corporate world in my twenties uh, took me about a decade to figure out that's really not what I want to be doing. Um, I did sales for a large corporation and then sales support for another large corporation and um, took me a while to figure out that I'm actually an introvert at heart. Um, I can fake it pretty good, but at the end of the day, uh, taking clients to lunch and box seats at a pro ball game really just kind of took it out of me. And I had sort of been this closet writer uh, all along. Um, and it took me becoming a mother, um, becoming a mom. I was 35 when I had my first kid uh, to really come back to writing full time and really embrace it and really say, hey, I'm a writer. Yeah. So I started writing after I had my son uh, a lot about just motherhood, just um, coming to motherhood a little bit later in life and kind of being a reluctant mother at first, uh, not even feeling bonded with my kid for a couple of months, um, pumping breast milk. I mean, I just wrote about the nitty gritty and it felt really good. It felt like coming home. Uh, it felt really familiar to me. And I, I just kept going with it. And 
I discovered uh, Right on the River, which is a nonprofit organization. I think we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. Uh, I went to a workshop of theirs, uh, loved it. I remember a volunteer at the at the workshop asked me what I write, and I really didn't know how to answer that. Uh, so I went home and I thought long and hard, okay, what do I write and how do I answer that question? And so I came up with this answer and I practiced the answer. And then like nobody asked me, you know, for like a year what I wrote, but I was ready with an answer. I, I write um, narrative nonfiction and some poetry. So that's a memoir and personal essay uh, and then poetry. At some point along the line, I got brave and I started submitting my writing to magazines and journals. Uh, as you probably know, there are a lot of online places and print places that will accept your work. And so I started doing that. And I remember I got a couple acceptances really early in that process, which was awesome. And it kind of buoyed me to do more. And then I got like this slew of of rejections, um, like months and months of rejections, which, you know, I mean, it's kind of how it goes, you know. Mm-hmm. Narrative nonfiction is sort of a fun one because a lot of writers are a little bit because of the fact that there's a certain level of creativity in there. How do you approach that? Um. Well. Yeah, a lot of people hear the term creative nonfiction, which is what it's typically called, and they think, well, wait a minute, is it is it creative or is it nonfiction? Um, and I approach it like um, really beautiful writing is what I think the creative non where the creative part comes in. Um and writing scenes and making the words come alive. And I just finished a memoir, actually. It, it's four years in the making. It's my memoir. And I really focused a lot on, I mean, you have to write writing scenes, you know, taking the reader along in your journey. I think that's the creative part. Yeah, because a lot of straight narrative doesn't exactly basically break down the three, you know, the three act scenes that easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you've kind of kind of you know play with it in your mind a little bit. And uh, for instance, um, my memoir for the most part takes place in Alaska. Uh, I joined a trail crew in Alaska, and that's really the thread of my memoir. And I really worked to make Alaska come alive for the reader and really treated Alaska like another character because that's how real it was for me being there. Not that's it was powerful and transformative. So I tried to bring that that to the reader. Yeah, Alaska is definitely treated as a character by a lot of people all the way back to Jack London. So, yes. Yeah. Oh, he was a good one too. He was a great one. So, so how much of your stuff do you change names on that sort of thing? Um, good question. Um, I write under my real name. Um, I know memoirists. Some memoirists don't. Um, they have sensitive 
topics that they write about, and so they have a pen name. Um, for the most part, as of right now in my memoir, I would say most of the characters are, well, like my mom and dad, you know, they're, they're in there and they're just in there as mom and dad. Um, my crewmates, uh, my trail crewmates in Alaska, um, I would, uh, I think I will be changing their names. I haven't yet in my early drafts of this, but I think I probably will later on just as a, you know, as a courtesy privacy thing, you know, I feel like it's the right thing to do. Yeah. It's just one of those, I creative nonfiction is sort of a weird topic because like you said, it's just sort of interesting to see how much you, or how hard it is to convert real life scenes to actual, dramatic scenes because well like i said they don't usually convert very well to three act there's not a you know instigating incident some sort of dramatic pause and a straightforward conclusion sometimes it's just a straight conversation yeah right right yeah and to keep the reader reading you really have to have a hook and um i don't want to say follow a formula because that's you know, but there definitely has to be an arc, you know, a story arc. And you have to tell your story in such a way that lends itself to that. So I think that's where the creative comes in. OK. And what other kinds of stories have you gone after besides the one the trail meets in Alaska? So I also write personal essay. Um, like I said, a fair amount about motherhood. Um, both of my kids also happen to have special needs. And so I've written about that. Uh, and then also some poetry, um, uh, just uh, experiences that I've had. I just sort of uh, I'll put down and I just I find that they lend themselves to poetry form. And so that's what I end up doing. Yeah, my mom ended up doing a lot of that as well. So the straight poetry. She found it was a great way of coping with almost yeah, coping with what she was dealing with at the time. Yeah. It is. It is. There's something about poetry. I totally get that. Mm-hmm. So when you just sit down and write your poetry, is it uh, free verse or sonnets? What kind of journal? Uh, you know, free verse. And I'll tell you, I um, I don't know a whole lot about poetry. I haven't had any formal training in it. I don't really, I, I don't know anything about um, sonnets or um couplets or i don't i don't really know any poetry terminology so it's all free verse it's all just kind of um you know there has to be a rhythm to it and a cadence to it you know i mean that's what makes it a poem versus prose right and so um yeah what kind of cadence do you prefer anything in particular or Basically, are you more the European, which there has to be a strong beat to it, or are you more the Japanese style, where there's a little bit of silence used meaningfully every so often? Yeah, no, I'm a big silence person. I, I'm a kind of a minimalist in my writing. Um, I like to engage the reader, and I want the reader to do a little bit of work. Not a whole lot, but I don't want to, you know, feed the reader too much information. You know, I kind of there's a, a famous quote. I don't know who said it, but uh, it's let's see. How does it go? A 
good writer starts the story, a reader finishes it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that it's simple, but that's kind of what I've had in the back of my head as as I'm writing my memoir. I mean, you do, we definitely want to have the reader throw a lot of the extra details onto it. Yeah, because readers going to bring their own experience to your project, no matter what. I mean, there's nothing you can do about that, you know. So I would rather use that phenomenon to um, to uh, make my words jump out even more at the reader, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, I mean, you basically, like I said, you. Readers seem to basically supply their own emotions and all that on, based on whatever your information you give them, which basically means, of course, you're leading down a certain path, and it sort of gets interesting, the interaction between writer and reader. Yeah, yeah, it does. And uh, lately I've been describing being a writer because, you know, uh, my non-writing friends would ask me, like, you know, what is it like to write and and be a writer and, you know, have this big project that you just finished? And I always describe writing as you're leading the reader down a path and the reader cannot see and you are sort of gently guiding the reader you're not, you know, you stop and, and like at a tree, for instance, and you have the reader feel like the bark of the tree. You don't say, oh, my God, this beautiful tree is here. Look, it's got all these leaves and it's wonderful. You let the reader come to her own conclusion. <laughs> I want to say there's, I know there's an elephant joke in there somewhere. <laughs> No, you you ever hear the story about the seven wise men and or sorry the seven blind men and the elephant? I don't think I have. Basically, I'm gonna do a quick distraction here. Basically, you get seven blind men that encounter this really huge object. Each one of them feels a different thing, and they basically report back on what they saw, or more accurately, what they felt. One of them, for example, fills this big, huge wall, so obviously it was a brick wall. Uh, another one had to go around whatever he was doing, so whatever it was was a big tree trunk. You had another one find uh, what appeared to be a snake because it was thick, muscular, and moving all over the place. So obviously mm-hmm. it had to be a serpent, right? And, of course, there's another person who, the way he touched it was he felt more of a thin cord, so obviously it was a rope. Another person felt these big, huge, hmm. flat areas that were sort of leathery, but still, you know, sort of pliant. So obviously he was dealing with a plant of some sort. He hit, hit the leaves. Another person found these big, huge, pointy things, and so whatever the object was, it had to be a spear. Mm. Mm-hmm. You had seven different approaches because, or seven different opinions of what had happened based on what part of the elephant each one of them encountered. Sure. Ooh, I like that. I'm going to use that now. Like you said, I knew there was an elephant joke in there somewhere. Yes. Sorry, I, I been like about that story a lot lately for some reason. Mm-hmm. So, all right, and when it comes down to, well, sorry, having the fun with this, you're pointing out that your kids have had a major influence on how you do some of your writing. Yes. Yeah. So I, um, like I kind of alluded to before, I was 35 when I had my son, decided to stay home with him, kind of tighten up finances and 
and stuff. Cause I just, I wanted to be with him. I, there was no place else in the world I wanted to be. I didn't want to be at work. I wanted to just be with him. And I never thought I'd be a stay at home mom ever, ever, ever stay at home moms were in their bathrobes all day and they watched Jerry Springer and they had shag carpet, always shag carpet in their houses and their dishes were always piling up in the sink because they were too busy watching TV to do them. And the baby would always be in the bassinets in the living room and the mom would rock the bassinet when the baby cried during Dr. Phil. And I mean, I had this whole stereotype going on in my mind, but again, I just, I really wanted to be with, with my son. And so, um, he was about four months when I left work and, um, started writing about motherhood and, uh, just sort of just kept going with it and, and, you know, by and by wrote about other things as well. And yeah, I don't know. And that was, uh, he's seven now. So yeah, God, yeah. He just turned seven. So yeah, here I am. (laughs) And you had to find out a way to write around the kids. Oh, I did. I did for sure. Um, not so much when he was, you know, when it was just my son, but we unexpectedly had a daughter two and a half years later. Um, and so that's when I, and that's also the time when I started to get serious about my writing that just coincided like that. And so I, um, just started, I started to write my memoir when she was born. Cause you know what? I have a two and a half year old and a newborn. What better time to write a book? Right. And I thought I really need to get a hold on time management and, uh, scheduling. And I really need to get serious if I want to write this book. What worked for me is I would reserve roughly two hours in the evening after my kids went to bed to write. From 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock, I would write. And sometimes I wrote, um, like, with pen and paper. Uh, actually, usually most of – some of my best stuff has come from starting with pen and paper. There's something about the process that I really like putting pen to paper – uh, versus like starting it on the computer. Uh, but yeah, two hours every night. And I became committed to that. And it was after a while, it was muscle memory. It was, I need to go do this, you know. So daughter, go to sleep, go to sleep. I need to write. Jeez, that would have made some busy evenings, especially if you do the usual parenting. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I've had writer friends. I know a lot of writers will, they like to get up early and write. I mean, they'll get up like at four and write for a couple hours. That sounds exhausting to me. To I'd rather do it in the evening after. Yes, I've had a long day with the kids. I'm tired. But I, I don't know. I just I just found a way to to make that work. Yeah, I mean, you can definitely see it for a parent would definitely not want to do things in the morning because you've basically pretty much been up all night, especially with a newborn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that was happening about that time 
was I joined a critique group. And that is, I have to say, probably the single best thing that's happened to my writing was joining this critique group. We were we were a group of four and we were all we were all local. We were all living in this town and we were all writing nonfiction of some sort. And we were together for two years, which is, I think, a long time for an average critique group. It was invaluable. It was we met every other week and I went from in the beginning, oh, shit, I need to write something for my critique group tonight to I cannot stop writing. Yeah. And that's what really propelled me along and gave me motivation throughout my project. Just because because you're dealing with critique, what kind of mistakes usually popped up a lot? Um, let's see, like, like among my group. Yeah, pretty much. Um, let's see, tense, I think was an issue. Um, people would, you know, be writing in present tense, for instance, and then slip back into past tense. Um, which the more I write, the more I understand that, you know, at first, because my mom was an English major, I, I grew up constantly being corrected. So when I heard that at first, I was like, well, well, yeah, it's it's just present tense. It's easy to just stay in present tense, right? It is actually, I find it easy to slip tenses. So I'd say that was kind of a common issue among us. Um, and just having the scene, whatever scene it is, pop, you know, just really have it jump out and really hook the reader right away and, so the reader is in the scene, you know, which I think is a, a, a common uh, challenge for for writers in general. I, I know it is for me. Yeah, especially the so-called fluff scenes, you know, the scenes where you need character, uh, character development more than anything else. And those are always the fun ones for me to write. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't have anything going on that's important dramatically. You're just trying to basically play around with the character and, so, you know, get the readers more involved in that particular character. So you have them do things like, you know, watch TV, um, eat something. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Something, you know, that sort of thing. Just the straight <laughs> fluff stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And what, I run in, what I've run into writing my memoir is, you know, not every scene of my life is exciting. And so I have to write some boring scenes. And I'm like... How is the reader going to get through this? You know, like, how do I spice it up even just a little bit? Like you said, those are those are the fun scenes. I mean, you've always got these big, huge, epic good versus evil fights. And, yeah, those are going to be epic scale. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes it's sort of fun to go back a little bit and just simply, you know, the heroes just come in from a busy day slaying dragons. You know, what's he going to do that night? Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, eat peanut butter and jelly sandwich or something. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So, hey, I've got, you know, Cook on Food Network. Oh, wait. That looks interesting. i got to try that sometime. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I definitely would like to see him watch the History Channel and just simply go, wait, no, 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 no. That's not how that happened. <laughs> no, you're, you got it wrong. Yeah. So, but like you said, it's, some people just simply, sometimes you need those character driven scenes just to basically hook the readers a little bit more. Show that the character is actually a little bit more three dimensional. Yes, absolutely. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. All right, so what kind of time management tricks did you come up with? Well, I will say that I got creative with my time. And I think when you have little kids and you're devoting yourself to a big project like this or um, like a full-time job or, you know, other responsibilities besides writing or creating, you um, you have to get creative with your time. You know, um, there is, I don't know, do you have, um, do you have Fred Meyer grocery stores there? Um, no. I'd be Northwest thing. Okay. So up here we have Fred Meyer grocery stores. It's Kroger is the, like the, the brand or whatever. And they used to have a Playland, which is a childcare center. And you could drop off your kid while you go shop. That was the idea for up to an hour. Fabulous place. Fabulous concept. Well, I would drop my kids off and then go to like Starbucks, which was in the store. And I would write for an hour. I like, I wouldn't even shop. I would just write or, um, you know, do something related to writing or something to keep the, the creative flow going. Uh, but that went away. Unfortunately, all Fred Myers closed their Playland, which I'm still upset about. That happened like last year. Um, so other than devoting myself uh, two hours every night from like, like I said, about eight o'clock till 10 o'clock um, after the kids go down um, weekends, um, I would try and get away. Uh, I will add that I have a supportive spouse in my creativity, which is very um, it's been very good. It's it's I, I can't imagine him not being supportive and, and my still trying to write. And since you mentioned one of them is seven years old, um, is he going to school right now or? He is. He's in first grade. Uh huh. And has that helped, uh, get free up a little bit more time or more devotion to the daughter? Uh, yeah, more devotion to the daughter. She's got, um, like two to three appointments a week that I drive her to. And, um, and they're, you know, they're not long enough appointments where I can really, you know, just be kind of in the corner doing my own thing with the notebook. They're kind of like appointments I have to, like, pay attention to and stuff. Um, but she will be going to kindergarten in the fall. So what I'm doing right now is I'm trying to get a good writing routine down. So when I do have both my kids in school full time, I can just sort of deploy my writing routine that I've made for myself and just sort of go with it and be hella productive. That is my goal. Yeah. And with both of them being in school, that should free up a little bit more time for you to play with writing. So. Yes, for sure. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it, but then again, I'm not because babies grow up so quickly, you know, uh, 
So basically, how much fun has it been having the kids? I mean, I know there's going to be sort of emergencies every so often where you can't exactly do some writing with them, right? But, uh, you know, having a problem getting to sleep, that sort of thing. Oh, um. Or are they actually good kids in that regard? Uh, no, they're not. <laughs> uh, my, my son's a good sleeper. Uh, my daughter, one of her challenges is sleep apnea. Right. So I'd say till she's four now, I'd say up until about last year, she was up an average of four to six times a night. And so, yeah, I was, I was tired. I mean, I was like beyond tired. And I mean, of course I'd be up until midnight or something, you know, writing, writing scenes or just, you know, I get in this flow and just not want to stop writing, even though I'm looking at the clock and I'm thinking I need to get to bed. Um, but the trade-off is I have so much rich material to write about because of my kids. And of course, as they get older, you'll have a lot more material. Yes, probably. Yeah. So, um, where are you put? Where are you basically applying your material now? What kind of magazines? That kind of thing. Um, let's see. As far as where to submit, or as far as kind of what fuels my fire. Where are you basically? What are you doing with the writing when you when you finish it? Actually, let's back up a step. What's your basic process? I mean, a lot of writers, for example, will basically do a straight one draft all the way through. And then edit, go back and edit, and then edit as, you know, edit again as necessary, that sort of thing, until they like the product. And then only then will they submit it. So how far, what do you, do you basically do the, do that, or do you write a little bit, edit a little bit, and then go back to writing? What kind of pattern? Um, gosh, so I'm a big processor. Like, I'm a big, I've got a loud mind. Uh, I've got always something going on upstairs. And so I think what I do is I will, I'll write and then I'll go, I'll, you know, I'll, okay, for instance, for like a personal essay, um, I think a lot of writers will just get everything down all at once and then go back and edit. I sort of, I'll write for a little bit and then go back and edit. Um, and then I'll write for a little bit, go back and edit. Um, I'm trying to be more structured about that because I know you don't want to be writing and editing at the same time. Um, I know that, that, and I've, I've done that and it kills productivity and it doesn't sort of move things forward. Or if it does, it just, it takes a long time. It takes longer than it should. So, I'm trying to be better at, okay, this is my time to write, and now this is my time to edit, that type of thing. For my memoir, I finished it actually about a year ago, and I, um, so I finished the manuscript, and then maybe it was two years ago. I think I finished it two years ago. Finished the manuscript, sent it out to four or five beta readers. Uh, and 
they were all people I knew. Some writers will employ beta readers that they don't know. But I knew all of these people and I knew they were either writers themselves or avid readers. And I also knew they were going to be honest with me. And I asked them specific questions. It was almost like a book report. Like, you know, um, like, for instance, I some of my trail crew members in Alaska, I gave them nicknames and I said, OK, did the nicknames work for you? What, were they clunky? Um, you know, how did this scene work for you? Um, did you want to know more about this? Did you want to know less? I mean, I just asked them all sorts of questions and I knew they would be honest. So I took feedback that they gave me and I um, did a second draft. And then I pushed it out again to uh, a round of different beta readers and got feedback again. And then I am in last year, I was pretty heavily in the query process um, as far as trying to get an agent. And by about October, um, I thought, OK, I, I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to take a breather. It had been a long year. I had had some health issues and my daughter had some health issues. So and I wasn't getting the response that I wanted from agents. So I kind of backed off a little bit. And now I am about to get back into it, actually. Yeah. In the meantime, uh, I've been doing the essays and the poetry because, I mean, the worst thing as a writer you can do, I think, is just stop writing completely. Right. Definitely. All right. So, yes. Are you, where are you on the plotter versus pantser debate? I am a... If I had to pick a side, I would say pantser. It's not a bad side. No, no. Um, I, uh, I, I have a general idea when I approach the page, when I approach a blank page, I have a general idea of, you know, I, I need to write about the time I used a chainsaw for the first time. Um, I need to write about setting up my tent for the first time. Um, but other than that, I just sort of let things go and see where they end up. Yeah, it makes you feel like that I'm a little bit of both, so. Mm -hmm. But I have no problem adjusting the outline depending on what happens in the story, so. Yes, for sure. Yep. So, all right, so we, I knew, trying to make sure I've got all my boxes checked. And so basically, it's going to be sort of interesting to see where you are when kids actually start going to school. Um, I'm basically, so tell us a little bit about when, uh, sorry, Right on the River. Yes. So Right on the River is a nonprofit um, here. It's based here in Wenatchee, Washington. And it's uh, it started in 2005. We actually have a a member of our board who was a founding member of Right on the River, which is pretty cool. She's still um, very much involved with the organization. What we do is we put on events to support writers. Um, we have year-round programming. We do open mic events. We do... Um, uh, we put on two writers' competitions, one adult, one high school. 
Um, we have quarterly workshops where we will bring a writer in from either Spokane or Seattle to talk about a specific topic. Um, we, a lot of our members are fiction writers. Um, so a lot of times we will uh, talk about the craft of fiction in these workshops or talk about the writing life, you know, what it's like to be a writer and the process of that and the marketing of your writing, things like that. Um, let's see. In the past, we've done retreats. We've done, we've put on writers retreats. Um, and, and then purely social events as well. Just happy hours, just, you know, get together, talk about writing. Uh, writing is a pretty, it can be pretty like lone. I don't know if lonesome is the word, but I mean, it's a pretty individual thing. And I think being around other writers and just networking and knowing that other writers are out there with the same challenges you have and um, being able to celebrate each other's writing, I think is very helpful. Right. So that's what we do. Yeah. And I came to write on the river. That was actually, I talked about um, going to a workshop for the first time that was put on by right on the river. And that was back in 2014, 2013, somewhere around there. And then I was asked to be on the board in 2014. And then summer of 2018, I became president. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. I It's a great organization. I'm having a lot of fun. I have a, a very supportive board. And, uh, yeah, we're growing, and it's exciting, and I love what we do. Okay. What kind of because it is a nonprofit, uh, what kind of charity events do you guys go into? Or is it not that kind of? Um, as far as like, I'm not, what do you mean? Well, some nonprofits you tend to have like, I mean, obviously you got the contests to get together and all that. Mm -hmm. It's more uh, how do you raise funds, or do you have like everybody contributes a little bit, or? Um, well, yeah, no, we'll, we'll do fundraising. I mean, we have some, um, like business sponsors in the community. Um, yeah. And we just kind of fundraise, um, kind of as we go, we are in sort of a unique position right now with being a nonprofit. We don't need to do a whole lot of active fundraising. Fortunately, we will have, uh, supplies donated to us. We'll have, we have a community college here that is kind enough to host our workshops for us, um, free of charge or, or pretty close to free of charge, which is really nice. And that's been a great partnership for us, I think, since the beginning. So yeah, I, I don't know if that answers your question, but. I basically, like I said, with nonprofits, it's always fun to figure out where they get the funding from. Yeah. Yeah. There are some like neighboring towns that will have an arts commission and that will help out significantly with funding for events. Um, yeah, we, we don't have that. <laughs> I wish we did. It's a beautiful thing. All right. And I hate going back a couple of steps. Uh, why are you looking for agents? I mean, have you tried the self publishing thing or just got more interested in? more interest interest in traditional um i mean i i i know about both i've studied both 
Um, I, I think indie publishing is great. I don't have anything against it. I just, um, I, I just, I, I would like to go traditional. Any particular reason why on that or? Um, I just, I, I would rather have the, um, the marketing tools and the editing tools that traditional publishing would be able to, um, uh, that would be available to me through traditional publishing. Um, and I, indie publishing is, um, you know, you've got to be really good at like Amazon algorithms and, um, you know, uh, you know, either, um, providing your own book cover or commissioning somebody to do it. And I'm just, that's just, that that's, I, I mean, I could do that stuff. I could learn it and it would probably be okay, but I just don't want to. Right. Yeah. It would definitely be an interesting skill. I mean, the reason I was curious is because, well, you already have more or less the sales background in it, even yes. though I know you don't like it. That's still something worth considering. Yeah, no, I hear you for sure. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. And I know very wildly successful indie authors and they just love it. You know, um, that's, that's their wheelhouse, you know, and that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I'm not saying either one of them is necessarily better. I know, like you pointed out, the traditional does have the advantage to having the proofers, the editors, the book design and all that, plus a lot of the marketing material. I mean, you'll still end up doing a little bit of marketing yourself, but. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that might be one myth that's still out there about traditional publishing is they will promote you and do all the marketing and stuff. And that's just not true anymore. Maybe it used to be, but traditional, you still need to market the hell out of your book. Yeah, well, that's still, again, why you basically saw a lot of people doing, like, book launches, that sort of thing. Yes, yeah. And, you know, there are a lot of really nice small press houses out there as well that I I I love, and they turn out really quality work. So, of course, when we start dealing with more of my style, we're dealing more with Kickstarters and self-publishing, so, or that and print, yeah. on, print on demand. Yeah. You know, what's funny for being in sales for, I was in sales for, for two and a half years and then switched to the, like the sales support side. I hate sales now. Like I hate fundraising, asking for money. I, oh my God, I hate it now. All right. So I guess anything I missed that you want to bring up? Um, no, just, I guess just encouragement to fellow writers to, to keep writing, keep plugging away. You know, um, I've certainly gotten my share of rejections, but you just, you got to keep going, you know, really just keep going. Cool. All right. So anything, and of course, now for the obligatory plug section of the podcast, anything you'd like to. Okay. Sure. Yeah. So come to my website. Uh, it's got some, some stuff on there. It's got, um, like my brief bio. It's got, um, a list of publications. And then I try and blog once a week. Not one. Yeah. Once a week. Um, that's a relatively, relatively new thing for me. Uh, my, my links to social media is on there as well. So if you go to lornarose.com, that's where I'm at. 
Yeah, have you got anything on uh, Amazon or anything, any actual books out there right now? Or? Uh, no books yet. Not yet. But you can read my poems and my prose that uh, are out there. Uh, you can read most of them on my website. Sometimes it'll make you buy something, but for the most part, things are up there on my website. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> Thank you for having me. This was this was an honor, really. And that's our show. For those interested in supporting the show, check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash two sparrows, TWO. This features minicasts, the next episode, and unedited interviews, and I'm working on transcripts of the various shows. We also have an Alexis app offering two-minute minicasts offering writing and business tips, as well as affirmations to keep you writing. We also have curated playlists on YouTube, with all the shows broken down to different playlists based on topic. It also includes a good part of available minicast, as well as the Alexis briefs. So please support our Patreon page, download the Alexis app, and subscribe to the YouTube channel, and please talk to us on Facebook. Thank you, and have a great day. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.